Welcome to Modern Day Abigails, a women's outreach of Calvary Chapel Pearland. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So let's listen to God's Word, where everyday lives transform, and where we can become the women God created us to be. So, Anna, uh, what's the time? Okay, so it's just a little over an hour. So if he splits these up in 30 minutes, this will be um, the beginning of the next um, episode. Because, you know, uh, ladies, my husband's going to break this into five or six sessions. So we're just making sure this one doesn't get cut in half. Yeah, we didn't want the testimony to be half on one podcast, half on the other. Yeah, so what's just, the time frame on it's, there? It's about one hour, five minutes, one hour, um, five. 20 seconds, okay. 21 seconds, 22 right. seconds. Coolio. Um, so, um I was, as Anna has said, um, I've never actually given my, I, I've given my testimony, but not to, um, on the world like this. I've given it to women who have needed it. And um, so I thought to myself, well, I'll just give a few little bullet points here and there. And, but the Lord was like, no. No, you're not going to give bullet points. You're going to be transparent. This is what's needed. Okay, so my heart jumped a little bit when he told me that. But so for the women out there who needs this transparency for healing and closure, this detailed story, this is for you. Okay, so let me let me begin here. As previously mentioned numerous times, I have a history with men. If you've heard any of our podcasts, then you know I do not pick well. Okay, it's not um, new news. Okay, so um, it's also probably why I'm still single so many years after the divorce, because I do not trust myself. I have trust issues. I have trust issues with myself. And um, so, okay, so that being said, I was dating um, my son's dad. Okay, Um he, uh, my son's name is Sean, so we'll just call him that going forward. So I was dating Sean's dad. Um, he was abusive and he was rapidly becoming violent as the days went on. It was escalating very fast. I got the courage to leave him after one of our horrific physical fights um, when my son was probably about a year old. But soon after, I got desperate and needed a place to stay. My mom had passed away. My dad wasn't functioning. I needed um, financial help. And in my mind, I decided it would be the best decision to go back to him. Um, and that's exactly what I did. And our abuse and physicalness, it picked up right where it left off, but it rapidly escalated. So three weeks into our um, our getting back together, moving back in together, things got real fun. So after an almost violent fight, which ended up with me defending myself and pretty much throwing him off of the balcony because we lived in a two-story apartment, um, he, um, as <laughs> he he climbed back over the rail and he grabbed his keys, which uh, before he grabbed his keys, I thought he was going to kill me. I already knew that this was my last moment to live, but instead he grabbed his keys and he took off to his friends. 
during that time, I packed up and took off and I did not come back. But because I packed up and took off and took my son, our son, with me, he became livid. And um, he began to stalk me and harass me and threaten me and made it very, very known. And I didn't have any reason to not believe him whatsoever. But he made it very, very known that if he ever found me alone, he would take my son and he would end my life. And then that would be that. And I believed every second because of what I had already been through with them. I had no reason to doubt that this was not a true fact. And um, so what I ended up doing, um, well, first of all, let me back up. He didn't want Sean. He wanted me. He wanted to control me, um, abuse me, hurt me. And when this didn't happen because I was gone, that's when he began to stalk me and threaten me all day, every day. And I went to the police. And um, the stalker law, which is now existing, did not exist then. Shortly after, probably about two months later, it existed because a woman just like me died. And then I believe it was her parents that put the stalker law into effect. But it did not help me because it did not exist. And the police basically told me that until I had proof that he laid hands on me, that there wasn't going to be anything that I could do. And I tried to make them understand that when that day come, it would be my last day alive. And um, I walked to, and there was, but their hands were tied. There's nothing that they couldn't do at that time. It was in the 90s. And um, so I walked away defeated and scared. Um, Finding out soon after that during my three weeks of stupidity, I got I got pregnant by him again, and um, I went into absolute fear and panic mode. Okay, so uh, backstory is that by this time, my mom had passed away. This is what Anna was talking about, how she had help mm-hmm. and I did not. Um, my mom had passed away and it was a, she had a terrible fast growing cancer and we lost her. And my dad never mentally or emotionally recovered from that. And he began drink him, drinking himself to death. He was already an alcoholic of beer, but that was not enough. So he moved to, um, one of those big bottles. I think they're called a, like a hard liquor. Um, yeah, it was, um, What's the clear one? Oh, vodka? Vodka. How do I not know this? Okay, vodka. How do I know the this? The big, huge jug. It's like a gallon jug. Okay, that that was daily. Wow. One of those a day. Um, and if he was feeling spunky, one and a half. Okay, so that's where he was. He was not functional. And his main goal was to drink himself to death, which he succeeded a few years later. So I already knew that I was utterly alone and I had no help in this situation whatsoever. And, um, but I look back now and I realize that I did have places and people to turn to for help, but I didn't see it at the time. I was very, very blind due to the debilitating fear that I was, um, facing and that I was up against. Okay. So I could barely see a way out alive with one of his children. Um, but I didn't know how we would all survive if there was another of his child. And so, and I knew that I couldn't support it. I was on the run because I was, I was fearing for my life. I was, he was stalking me. So I had to hide out. I hid out for years. Um, and, um, each time I 
realized that he had found me, I would pack up in the middle of the night and I would move again. And this was my life. This was my life with my son, Sean. And this was my life um, now being pregnant. And um, it was it was real. It was scary. You see it in movies, but it was my actual life. And um, so during this time, I actually started dating a guy and um, he had no idea that I was pregnant. And I I didn't tell him because I had already made up my mind that I was not keeping the baby. There was no way I could bring a child into this mess. There was no way I could support a child. There was no way we would all end up alive. And I knew it. And so this was my type of thinking. This is the worst life I could have given um, a, a baby. And so to spare him and the the baby that I now had and myself, these are the choices that I took. Um, and so I called a friend who had already had one and she, she told me, this is what you do, but I need you to know this will change your life forever. So do not take it lightly. I did not ask her what that meant. I did not know what that meant and she did not explain it. Maybe if she would have, um, but I, had already made up my mind and I had let her know that. So maybe that's why she didn't, but I would certainly soon find out exactly what she meant. So as days passed, I lied to a friend to ask her for money and I didn't tell her what it was for. I was ashamed and I didn't want her to tell me no. So let me back up. I actually didn't personally ask her. I had a mutual friend ask her because I was too chickened and too ashamed. Um, I was utterly alone. I couldn't get anyone to take me um, across town. It was time to go. Nobody wanted to be involved with this. And they all knew what I was not. There was a handful of people that knew that I was doing, uh, but most of everybody didn't. And so um the people that did knew did not want to be involved, and so I drove myself across town. Um, and they told me um, during the consultation that anesthesia was going to be involved since I was too far along. Yes, I was far along by this time. By the time I made the decision and gathered the funds, I was very far along. Um, and so. Um, I went for my first day. The doctor was absolutely horrible to me. I'll never forget it. Um, it was almost as if he absolutely hated being, um, an abortion doctor. That's the vibe that I got from him. And I kept thinking, if you're so rude and you hate what I'm doing, why are you doing it? Naturally, right. I didn't say that because this was the man that was about to do the procedure on me. Um, but what I did find out is that because I was so far along that it was a two-day process. And so I went by myself the first day, and the doctor um, did what he needed to do to prepare my body for day two. Um, and by this time, there was no turning back. And so on day two, that would include anesthesia. I couldn't get anybody to take me then either. And so I took myself. And um, the nurse, the first thing that she said to me is, where is your ride? You cannot drive home. Um, you, The anesthesia is too much. And I said, um, there, 
they're running errands, they will be here when it's time and I will meet them downstairs. And she looked at me and she tilted her head. She knew I was lying. And they did it anyway. They did it anyway. And, um, and, and, and I vaguely think that she asked me again and I'm like, I have a ride. And I was very adamant. And, um, and so she's like, okay. So I had the abortion and then I, it was, um, I was in the recovery room when I woke up and, or when I came to, I wasn't completely under, I, I, I remember the details. I remember the details completely of exactly what was going on and what I felt and what was happening. And they're very vivid today. And I'm not going to go into them because they're very horrific. Mm. And, um, but I felt everything and I remember everything. Mm. And, um, and so I'm now fast forward into recovery and it's time for me to go. And, and, um, I, told them that my ride was downstairs. And so I went and I got in my car and I drove across Houston traffic, which was really bad at the time that I left. And um, it took me um, at least an hour, maybe two. And I kept coming in and out. Of, I honestly don't know how I made it home. I kept coming in and out of consciousness because um, the anesthesia was not gone. And so I remember driving very slow and I remember slapping myself on the face mm. all the way home and to keep myself awake because I didn't, after all that I'd gone through, I didn't want to die on the way home when this whole point wow. was to protect myself and um, the child that I already had. And it was, it was bad. So I made it home. And um, it was just a day that I'll never forget in my entire life. I was numb. I was shocked at what I had just done and the kind of person I I was to have done something like this. Um, because this type of damaging decision is irreversible. Ladies, it is irreversible. You cannot take it back. You cannot put the baby back in. You can't. There's no going back after this decision. There are some, now there is a chemical abortion where some women have reversed that. There are doctors who will reverse that. But yours was, but once the baby's out, there's, you're right, you can't put it back in. Yeah, that's it. Right. Okay. So um, my story, unfortunately, does not, it doesn't stop here. So um, I had mentioned before that I was actually dating a guy during this abortion. Um, he, I had been dating him for just a little while. He did not know that I was pregnant um, by Sean's dad. He did um, did not know that I was on the run. I hid that for him too. He couldn't figure out why I kept moving apartments, and um, and I didn't tell him. I was too ashamed and too afraid to bring him into that world that I had going on behind the scenes. And um, so I was very good at leading this double life. And that's exactly what I did. So, um, so I hid what I had done from, I hid my pregnancy from everybody and I hid my abortion from everybody except, except probably three people who knew what was going on. And um, I didn't want him to know because I was in a 
what I called a serious relationship and, and I was caring about him and falling for him. And, um, we weren't actually sleeping together yet. So I could hide it very easily. So fast forward, the abortion is done. And then he and I began to get serious. And so we did move in together because this was my MO with men. And, um, he loved my child. He loved him, but he was not ready for a family. Um, to have a baby with me, and not well. Um, he he is actually married with several kids, but at that time he wasn't ready for a child with me, and um, and he wasn't abusive like Sean's dad. He just was young and he was naive, and I think that I might have actually been his first real relationship. Um, and I was all wrong for him on so many levels, so many levels. He was actually my age, but he was innocent and untainted, and I was damaged and I was broken. And to this day, I actually hope and pray that um, I didn't mess up his life. And I have no idea if I did. He probably struggled a little bit after our relationship. So anywho, I ended up getting pregnant from him. Um. I was actually on birth control, birth control when I was dating him and birth control when I was dating Sean's dad. I found out later that birth control does not work in our family. Wow. So <laughs> I could have spared myself from that. But yes, I was actually on birth control for all three pregnancies with my son, with the child that I aborted and with this one as well. And um, you thought that I would have after having my son that um, the first child that I would have figured that out, but I I didn't. No, it could have been just a fluke. Yeah. So um, anyway, I found out later it it wasn't. It doesn't work in our family. Awesome. So anyway, so I found out that um, I was pregnant. And um, when I discovered this, I, I, I took a pregnancy test and I got the courage to finally tell him that I was pregnant. And um, he took it exactly like I thought he would. He was so excited. He was so excited. Not true. Not true. Um, he got very upset and he wanted me to get an abortion. Like it was your fault. Yeah. Never mind. He had things in places right. they shouldn't have been, but it was your fault, not it, his. Exactly. Okay. And um, so he, he, got, he got upset and he, his first question was, well, you're going to get rid of it and get an abortion, right? Mm. And so there my answer is, we're not having the baby. And um, so I, I mean, by this time I was already a pro. So sure, that's what we'll do. So I scheduled the appointment and he took me. And as I was lying there about to get the procedure, because this this time I was only um, a couple of weeks, probably six weeks into as opposed to last time, which was months. And um, so I didn't have to go to day two. Day one was fine. And so as I'm lying there about to get the uh the procedure done, the nurse came in and she said, um, you aren't pregnant. I said, well, that's, that's not possible. I have all the signs and I took two pregnancy tests and they both came back positive. She said, well, maybe you lost the baby, but either way, you aren't pregnant. And it was then that I realized that the week before when I, I, I bled a little bit that I had had a miscarriage and, um, and I was, <laughs> 
unfortunately, I was so elated about this because I was one, not going to get a second abortion, which I did not want to do. Um, and, and I didn't want to add to my personal, personal horribleness that I had already experienced a few months prior. Um, by the way, and I lied on my um, sheet that I filled out and they asked me if this was my first abortion. And uh, I said, yes, I wasn't going to tell them that I was about to have my second abortion or they might not have let me do it. And also he was sitting right next to me. And so I didn't want him to, he was helping me fill out the paperwork. And so I said, yes, first abortion. Um, I had totally forgotten about that fun fact until just now. And so Anyway, so uh, on the other hand, I was also very sad that I had just miscarried the baby. Why? I don't know, because I was just about to abort the baby. But I had my feelings were all over the place. I was such a mess. I was very mixed up and I was very troubled. Okay, so on the way home, so we, you know, we, I get dressed, we get back in the car and on the way home, he's livid. He said, were you trying to trap me? was very clearly confused about this particular statement. I don't know if he was asking a question, but I told him, I said, I didn't understand his accusation. And he said, did you lie to me to try to trap me into marrying you? And I just looked at him and I said, I honestly don't understand your logic. Or for one, if I was trying to trap you, I wouldn't have just left the abortion clinic. Two, we weren't and aren't getting married. We've both made that fact very clear. And three, I have two pregnancy tests to prove that I really was pregnant. And you know I'm on birth control pills, so clearly none of this is the case. And I wouldn't have put myself through all of this just to trap you. Okay, so soon after we we broke up, not a shocker there, um, but it was for the best for both of us. Um, however, my mental state was not good. I never mentally or emotionally recovered from my decision. Um, I was an absolute mental basket case, and I cried myself to sleep almost every night about my first decision and my second attempted decision, and this went on for about 10 years. For the last seven of those 10 years, I was actually a Christian, but I could not allow myself to um, forgive and forget and to heal over what I had done. So during those seven years, I actually got married. I discovered Jesus and I gave my life over to him. This did not, however, make my mental anguish go away about what I had done. I was in utter torment. And ladies, when I say I was in utter torment, I mean, it was daily, it was hourly, it was affecting every aspect of my life. It was also during this time, it was one of the reasons that I became a closet alcoholic. Um, I became a closet alcoholic for several reasons, but this was one of the contributing factors. I was trying very much to numb my pain. It didn't work. I was absolutely sure that nothing would. I deserved the fiery pit of hell for eternity for what I did, and I was okay with that. I wanted that. I welcomed that. I 
told the Lord numerous times, you need to kill me and throw me straight into hell and never let me out for what I had done. And I felt that way every minute of the day. However, the Lord had a different plan. He sent a friend to me. And my friend knew that I had a secret that tormented me, but she was not sure what it was. And after hours of coaxing me into spilling my guts, I finally told her. And that's when she talked to me about God's forgiveness and his love and his grace and his mercy. And I had to let that sink in. It did not happen overnight, but it took a while. And I still struggled with that option for a while. To me, it was an option because the other option I felt I actually deserved. I did not deserve this particular option. And so I I had to let it sink in and I had to allow myself to let the Lord heal me. And what I noticed is that the Lord never beat me up about it. Mm -mm. Um, I did all that Mm -hmm. on my own. I didn't need any help from anyone. I was pretty good at it. But Jesus began to show me who he was, and he also began to show me who I was, that I was forgiven. I was released, big word, released Mm -hmm. from constantly tormenting myself over my decisions. The Lord was now a part of my life. He was in my heart. He took my sin. He washed it away, just like as if it were dirt on his hands. I was clean. I was forgiven. I had to learn to forgive Mm -hmm. myself. It was a long while before I ever spoke about it again to anyone. But now, if a woman needs to hear it, I do tell my story and I do give them the detailed version. I do not give snippets. Um, You know, it is a story of shame and heartache. And I tell them because at the end of it, there's so much healing and grace and forgiveness that they get to have if they allow themselves to accept that as truth, that the Lord does heal. He does forgive. He does wash it away. We may not forget. Ladies, I have never forgotten what I did. I've never forgotten the feelings that I felt, the things that I were feeling as they were being pulled out of me. I remember every single bit of it. It no longer defines you. It does not define me. And Anna is a, she can testify to that because she did not know me during this time, but she certainly knows Mm -hmm. me now. So there is healing. Yeah. And I saw your struggles because when I met you, you were still struggling. And you didn't want to talk about it, and you didn't want to say anything. And oh, had, I certainly didn't. We had a deep conversation at um, Planned Parenthood. Oh, ugh, that was, was a, not a fun time. <laughs> no, but it was a lot of warfare. Oh, my gosh, it was so bad. I'm going to give a little bit of testimony yeah. to that because it's even more healing that the Lord did. I thought that I was completely healed and 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 good to go, right? Okay, so I had my memories, uh, but they didn't haunt me or taunt me until we, because um, one of the things that we've mentioned numerous times that we were going to Planned Parenthood on the first Saturday of each month, and we would not approach um, the workers or go behind the gates. We'd walk the sidewalks and we prayed over everybody and every aspect of it, but outside for years. We did this once a month years, for years. Years. Cold and heat. 
Oh, it didn't matter. You, there are several times we had three jackets on. <laughs> yes, there was. I was going to say, there was one day we had three jackets yes, on. Yes, <laughs> and I think one day I even brought hand, war- hand warmers. Yep. I'm not real sure. And several pairs of gloves each of us had on. So outside, though, there's what they call the blue bus. And at the blue bus, you get to have a free ultrasound. You get to see the baby. At Planned Parenthood, you don't get to yeah, see the baby. Yeah, you get to the have baby. the ultrasound. You also get to, get to see the stages of where the baby is, where the heartbeat is, and when everything. they start moving everything to see that it's not a clump of cells. Yes. And if you if there's no um, if there's no woman or couple on there getting their ultrasound or getting counseling, you can actually mm-hmm. tour the bus. Well, I had been going there for years and never toured the bus because there was always somebody on it. Praise the Lord, there was already some always somebody on it. So one day um, we realized the bus was empty, and so we got to go in. And the minute my foot, I don't think I've even told you all of this, mm-hmm. but the minute my foot hit that stare. I wanted to turn around. I almost, my knees buckled. Luckily, Anna was walking in front of me, but my knees buckled and I almost uh, sat right on the steps and never took another step um, because the enemy immediately began to attack me and tell me that I was not actually truly healed, that I, that everything that I had experienced before with the Lord was fake and false. And so when you walk into the bus, they have what Anna was just talking about, a very visual poster of every stage of the baby. And then you walk to the back of the bus and they have the ultrasound machine. They have all kinds of this equipment and it's all to help the mother make a different decision and programs that they can get a part of oh yeah they they help the they help the moms um while they're pregnant and after and so they collect diapers and there was actually a stack of diapers sitting in one of the corners and um and so every step i took and this is a regular size school bus so it's long and every step i took back towards the um the ultrasound room, I was on the verge of throwing up. It was so bad. I've never, I had not experienced something like that except for the day that I got my abortion. And it was all coming back up. And um, apparently there had, I, I think there's just some stuff that I hadn't dealt with yet. And so the enemy was attacking me, but uh, the Lord was also in there and he was uh, rescuing me. And it was this massive tug of war that I had not felt in a long, long time. So I was very calm. I was very fine until... We got off the bus. So we were on the bus for a good, what, 10 minutes? Probably. Yeah. So we got off the bus. Anna headed one way. I headed another way. And I had to stop walking because I was on the verge of fainting. And um, I literally lost it. Lost it. Uh, I had my back to everybody, but I lost it. And fortunately, I looked up and there was a guy sitting in the car that was I was standing in front of, and he was watching the whole thing oh, wow. play out. I don't know what was on, what was what was going through his head, but um, he didn't get out and he didn't try to comfort me. I probably would have punched him. Um, so I walked off and I didn't come back for, I don't know, probably 20 minutes. But when I did come back, I, I told Anna what was going on and I could feel this incredible mm-hmm. tug of war with my emotions. And I felt 
it deep down in my soul. And um, you told me that you're like, no, I can't be forgiven. God can't forgive me for this. Yeah, I had literally reverted back yep. to day one. And um, but it was the enemy. And so Anna helped me and we prayed and we walked through it. And there was another girl there. She um, looked a little traumatized watching the whole thing. She did. And I, I had to explain to her several times, this has never happened to me here before. This is not my norm, but I have to I have to finish this little mm-hmm. mini journey going on right to. now. You wanted to go home and think about it. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> I wanted to go home. The, the Anna wanted me to... Um, give whatever the enemy was using at that moment, which I didn't actually know what he was using at that moment. But Anna wanted me to give at that moment, whatever the enemy was trying to steal from me. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go home. I pray about this. I'm gonna think about it. And it's like, no, we're not leaving here. You're doing this right now. And so I did. I had to walk off and I had to have a conversation with the mm-hmm. enemy. And then I had to have a conversation with my Savior. And by the end of the day, um, I think the whole process from the minute I hit the threshold of the bus to the the minute that this happened, it had to have only been an hour because we were only there for an hour. Exactly. And um, But it felt like hours. But by the time the Lord got done... I was healed, and I honestly, mm-hmm. to this day, I don't know what it was. The enemy knows, the Lord knows, but I can't figure out, and I'm not even going to try even to. More, but you're open now. Now you talk about it on a regular basis. Oh, I guess I do. You do now. Interesting. I never yeah, put two and two together. I huh. Because I knew before I met you and before then, I can tell the difference. You really talk about it, and you now really address the issue. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's the reason. Yeah. <laughs> mystery solved. Yeah. Didn't know it was a mystery till today, but it's, it's a mystery. <laughs> but but I was in that same yeah. boat because when I got pregnant, I thought God couldn't, uh, that I shouldn't be forgiven. It's not that yeah. God couldn't forgive me. I couldn't forgive me for what I'd done. And I found two yeah. quotes that I thought was really applicable by C.S. Lewis. The first one is... Is this, this the stuff you said you added? Uh, yes, in my head, but not in I my see. notes. Okay, go for it. Because I found these last night. I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it is as almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. So um, how can God say, we for- I forgive you, but we can't forgive ourselves? That means we're above God? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So we ha- so ladies, that's the enemy's trick. That's I mean, the enemy's scheme to say that God forgives you, but you shouldn't forgive yourself. If the mighty God creator of us... And And the universe, every single, even the dust particles, he created everything in this earth. If he can take the time to love on us and forgive us, why is it so hard for us to do it for ourselves? Thank you for letting us share our tools to become the women God created us to be. If we encourage you today, visit us at moderndayabigails.com. Remember, you are loved, cherished, and prayed over.